electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The road ahead for tech, the NASDAQ down more than 7% in just a week. So how much more selling do we have to endure? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Take you to the wall, show you the markets right now. We were watching the S&P 500 because it was close to breaking its 50-day. It's above that, 44.27. All right, so keep an eye on that number throughout this hour. Dow's down by 180. NASDAQ really the epicenter lately. I mentioned down 8% in a matter of a week and some big-name stocks, Bryn, within the NASDAQ. I mean, as sort of sector-wise, software down 8%, cloud down 7%, semis down 10%. We're talking about the last five trading days. Big names, Microsoft down nine, Apple down seven, Alphabet down nine, Amazon down 10. You described yourself as being loaded up, quote unquote, on tech. How much more pain do we need to endure? Yeah, I think that it looks like we're going to, you know, retest. If I look, just look at the queues, you know, I own Apple, Amazon, the queues, Coinbase um, and some other names, but it looks like the queues are going to, you know, on, on the direction to go back to that 318, 320 level, which is a little bit away from here. This market is all about the Fed, Scott. And when I think that people think the Fed is way behind and we still have a really strong economy, that long duration risk assets, which are the cues embody that. I think people are just selling those and saying until we have a better grasp on how far the Fed's going to raise, how much QT and how high inflation is going to be. This is just still going to be, at best, a trader's market in the tech. But I still think there's going to be a tremendous amount of weakness. So you just got to sit through it um, because brighter days will be here, but definitely not for the next few months. Now, Joe, um, NVIDIA, now they come for NVIDIA, right? You talk about I went through some of the big name declines over the last five days. Now they've come for NVIDIA. Bear downgrading it today to neutral from outperform. Price target goes to 225 from 360. The stock obviously had come down substantially from 360. But nonetheless, here you go. I, I wonder if we, you know, we'll end up looking back and say, OK, you, you get downgrades to the, if not mega caps, the soon to be or right in the ballpark of mega caps and what that means. Big picture, Joe. Probably. I think this is an opportunity for an investor with a long term focus, but it still doesn't feel good. It's maximum frustration without question, um, whether it's NVIDIA, which I own or it's Amazon, which I recently purchased, or Alphabet, or Microsoft, or Apple. Collectively, those four mega cap equities encompass 18% overall of the S&P 500. So it's incredibly frustrating. Uh, you, you have to react to that. I've had S&P futures on as a hedge against those four positions, not because I want to, because I have to. I'm defending against not losing money, but not losing as much money as possible. And here we are embarking upon earnings, and we're going to try and uncover the resiliency of the consumer and what margin compression is going to look like. 
this is a very difficult period right now, Scott, and I don't see it reversing anytime soon. All right, so Steve Weiss, I thought Mike Santoli had a very interesting note that he sent around internally and approved my mentioning this on the air. He says, uh, the market isn't nearly as weak as it looks today with NASDAQ 100 semis and energy all off 2%-ish and everything else holding up okay. Too early to say that the salutary mm -hmm. ro rotational forces again prevail as they did in uh, all of 21, but makes this a less internally damaging 1% plus drop for the S&P. So we're focusing on, you know, the thing in the bright lights, NASDAQ and NASDAQ 100, and that's where the carnage has been. Um, but maybe inside, it's not as bad. Well, uh, that's today. I think you referenced today, but it, I did. but it is that bad. I did. Uh, of course, you ha you have Microsoft that that's weighing on it and taking it down more than it should because it's getting hit. But to me, that's the issue. They're coming for the stalwarts. They're coming for the standbys, and not just attacking on valuation, but attacking Microsoft on fundamentals, saying there's going to be a slowing of their growth in, in Office 360. So, look, I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, but to me, look, people are still bullish, and I regard that as sort of like a backhanded bullish comment. Hey, it's not that bad while you're looking at another, you know, 1% to 2% decline in the indices. So until people start saying that all the bad news is priced in the market, we've seen all the bad news without the realization that all the good news is also priced in the market. What dominates every conversation is the economy still strong, the consumer still strong. So where's the upside surprise? Here's the downside surprise. The market investors have been used to the Fed put. They've been used to 10% declines in a flash and just as quick a flash, the market trading up and recovering. And that's just not what the reality is with the Fed on a very aggressive tightening cycle. And by the way, as part of their tightening cycle is the market coming down because that also removes liquidity from, from the economy. So. Look, I'd much rather be bullish. It's so much easier to be bullish, to be happy-go-lucky, snapping your heels, you know, and all that. Well, you're but describing, that's not who are you describing? So are you describing Farmer Jim? Happy-go-lucky, walking down the street, uh, snapping. Look at his face. He's happy. Look at that. He's happy. <laughs> are you describing him? He, he is. He is. But, uh, you know, uh, hey, if the shoe fits... Wear it. I mean, Jim's right not the only one who's suggesting that, though. To your point, Tom Lee with a note today, stocks are behaving in, in his mind as if February was the bottom. And he says to exactly the point you just brought I, up. I don't see how he, he gets he, that. He said to a lot of points you I just brought see, up. I don't see. A lot of bad news is priced in. Quantitative signals suggest the market bottomed, in quotes. Fed hawkish, but multiple factors already working on behalf of Fed, so we're less gloomy. I mean, that, that's Tom Lee's take. You, you don't have to agree with it, but that is out there. It's his take. I don't agree with it. I don't think February, you know, was the bottom. Look, I'll tell you when we get to the bottom. In addition to the bullishness that we see out there, the closet bullishness, the overt bullishness is volumes. Friday saw the lowest volume trading day of the year. When you get complete apathy and we see many more days of that extended, then then maybe we'll be OK. But not till we get through the hardest earnings season. So on Thursday, I think we've got four banks, five banks mm -hmm. reporting, and I throw Morgan Stanley and Goldman as a bank in there. Uh, to me, it's not going to be a good story. I don't know. Trading Jim volumes says, are going to be down. Jim says earnings are going to yeah. save the day, right, Jim? I mean, again, 
the resident bull, uh, not afraid to admit it and talk about it. But how are you feeling right now? Here's... <clears throat> Here, here's how I'm feeling. I'm looking at, for now, analyst estimates on the S&P 500 continue to go up. And I will grant you there's a legitimate question as to why that is. I would feel a heck of a lot better if I get confirmation of that top-down analytical optimism from the individual companies themselves. The good news is we're going to get it in just a couple of days. It's going to start. We're going to get Delta in the bank, and then it's going to really pick up next week. My thesis has been that, notwithstanding what Steve said, this economy is very strong. There is an opinion here as to what is priced into the market and what is not priced into the market. The last week and a half, I would say what's priced into the market is not that earnings estimates are going up, but that they're going to go down. So number one, we need to see if companies confirm that. I suspect they will, because if I look at this U.S. economy, it's pretty darn strong. There isn't even a hint of a, of a crack in the labor market. It's not even a hint. 166,000 jobless claims weekly last week. Um, well, what if that's you know, the you next, look at this economy. What if, the, what if that's the next sort of hitch? You've been saying that for weeks, what? my friend. You've been saying that for weeks. Well, I'm cutting you, you off I'm just because I know up. what you're going to say. I'm not making it up. I, I mean, can name that hey, tune. I can, I can name that tune in five notes, Scott. You're going to say, that's where the puck is. Where's no, the puck going? No, that's okay, not what I'm saying. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. I was going to say, All according right, to Bank of listen to what I'm going to say. Bank of America, consumer discretionary sector sentiment, quote, feels the worst it's been in months slash years, even worse than the peak of supply chain scares of late 2021. At least back then, people could rotate into services and feel good about it. Now, however, people are just rotating out. Transports, coming off the worst week since June of 2020. Lizanne Saunders, quote, back to the future, not even halfway through the month, and the Dow Transports Index is having its worst month since March of 2020. Freight waves, quote, Rapid deterioration in national freight demand. Spring is usually one of the best times. My point is, yes, you can point to the labor market, but if you're hinging your whole hopes on the strength of the labor market to keep everything all sunny and rosy, Scott, then maybe you're looking in the wrong place. I because love this, it. The writing is on the I wall. I love to what some you're people. giving me right there. I love what you're giving me right there because a moment ago, my good buddy Steve was telling me that the good news is priced into the stock market as well. If I replayed what you just said, there is no way that that implies that the good news is priced into the market at all. All right. The bad news is priced into the market. An aggressive Fed that we'll see. So far, they've raised 25 basis points. And yeah, they'll raise 50 basis points in May and will be a whole 75 basis points off of zero. But everything you just said tells me this market is way too pessimistic. But you know what? Here's the good news. You and I and Steve aren't going to have to argue about it for very long because we're going to get earnings. Okay. And, and the numbers will tell the story uh, for us. Oh, okay. And I'm going to go back to Steve Weiss. Savita, Savita Subramanian over Bank of America says this could be the last big beat for a while. Q1 will likely mark a reset in expectations. Beyond Q1, consensus expectations appear too high. Cracks are forming. See the transport tracker. We just mentioned transport. Slowing housing, falling lumber. Consensus 22 EPS rose solely due to higher energy, but consumption-oriented uh, sectors do not reflect a slowdown in the, in the second half. We're 7% below for the second half of 22 and 8% below for 23. Um, you know, some say, Steve, as I was suggesting to Jim, that the writing is on the wall. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's what I'd say to Admiral Jim. There has been more than a hint of the economy slowing down. And as you point out, that's freight pricing, not just freight stocks, freight pricing that has come down. And while S&P estimates overall 
may have gone up, although Goldman said they've been decli they declined by about nine tenths of a percent. I think that if you depend on analysts to tell you where earnings are going to be, you're making the wrong bet because they also are notoriously bullish. Just look at the mix of buys versus holds versus sells across every firm. So in my view, earnings will tell the story. And what you're going to see is you're going to see pressure. You're going to see pressure on margins. You know rates coming We've down? seen that for some pre-announcements and early ones. Jim, you, you know why freight's sorry? coming Interjecting. down? Yep, because, because this is important. Freight costs are coming down because supply chain bottlenecks are easing. The ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach are easing. Freight costs were too high. It's a positive that they're coming down. That's a headwind for inflation that will knock inflation down. And by the way, it's the second calendar quarter. This is not the goods shipping season. We're the not, third we're not quarter just is the about goods rates. shipping season when you prepare for the holiday season. So you don't buy what Freight Waves is suggesting, and they track this space I read Freight closely Waves. as anybody. Uh, Freight yeah, demand, it's, listen, it's rapid Freight deterioration. Yeah, I know, but you're talking about rates. They're talking about demand. Those are two different things. People are worried that there's going to be demand knockoff from the consumer space coming up in the not-too-distant future either. Now, my point to you, Jim, is you're looking for earnings as confirmation of your thesis. I don't think anybody doubts that earnings are going to be good, but who cares? It's like backward-looking. We need to know what the companies are suggesting about the future. Right. That's what matters more than anything. And that is that's as unknown as, as anything. I don't think anybody knows exactly what the guidance is going to. Don't you care more, Jim, about the guidance than you do the numbers for the last three months? We always care months? about guidance. Always, always care about guidance. But I'm not stopping from this freight recession thing. We know that the economy is shifting from goods consumption, which went bonkers during the shutdown, to services. As people are now coming out, nobody's talking about COVID here in the U.S. People are traveling. Look at the TSA traveler counts. They're about 5% off of 2019 levels. Look at what's going on with the Jets ETF today. Look at the hotel stocks. All right. This is an economy that's shifting from goods to services. The, the fact that freight rates and demand are coming down in the second quarter of this year is absolutely meaningless to me. Okay. That's interesting. But, but Jim, but, but Jim. Hurry up, Stephen, and we've got to open it question? up. Let's go. Okay. Okay, sure, sure. I will permit so, this but, but Jim, from the so, bench, and then we're going to move on, sir. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, but Jim, thank you, Your don't Honor. you think that you're thank talking you, about Your a small— Let's be clear. Uh, uh, thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, don't you think that that's a smaller segment of the economy, that the majority of the economy is really under siege from higher energy prices, from higher food prices? And given that we're a 70 percent consumption economy, that that's going consumer consumption, that's going to hurt earnings and the economy going forward? Or do you think that in those rose-colored round glasses, there's no impact from that? Everything's going to be OK. Your Honor? Please, obviously, answer the question. Yeah. OK. Take a look at crude oil, Steve. Don't tell me what happened in March. All right. That's what happened in March. Prices spiked. They are where they are now. You got labor force participation rate picking up because people need to work. And that's good for the economy. And that's good for inflation. You're talking about what happened in March and extrapolating it forward. Please skate to where the puck is going, not where it's been. Oh, OK. Let's do this. Let, let's step away for a second. Take a quick break. I'm looking at a note of Marco Kalanovic. He likes to drop notes, like literally during the program. This one came right beforehand, but nonetheless, it's interesting and you need to know about it. We'll do it next.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. I mentioned Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan, new comments. They are as follows. We think the strength in commodities will persist, number one. Number two, we're still bullish, with investor sentiment being poor and positioning very low. Three, we think equity risk reward is better than sentiment suggests. Four, stay pro-risk. Here's the caveat, though. But mainly in EM equities and commodities. Joe Terranova, to you. What do you think? <laughs> I love, I, I love that. I, I love that. I mean, that's that's that that's an interesting note. They hit on all the marks, but the reality is, uh, the majority of us have to concern ourselves not only with investing in the emerging markets, which are investable, but investing here in the United States. And I think that what the process is right now is that we're trying to absorb a lot of negative information, whether it is the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The comments last week from Fed Governor Brainerd, the commodity cost inflation. And I think listening to Jim and Steve, I think for Jimmy to be right, he should hope that earnings estimates are too high. To your point, we should hope that management comes out with a more realistic vision in the guidance for the future. Let's use this quarter to digest all the negative, positive news that we possibly can. And I think that sets the foundation for the second half of the year where you can get a resumption of the bull trend. Otherwise, Scott, you're just going to have a series of fits and starts within the market where markets are going to take two steps forward and then take those two steps back and placing it where it is right now in a very technically perilous position. Well, I mean, Bryn, the market's been screaming defense, right? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. One of the reasons why people have been putting money into mega cap tech, even as tech overall has been getting hit, is because it's deemed defensive. Staples, utilities, real estate, healthcare, while the cyclicals are the ones that have been falling. What's the message in all of that? I mean, you pay attention to what the market's trying to tell you, or do you say you're going to stand with Jim and say the market's getting a little bit of this wrong? What do you think? Well, I think, first of all, I, I, I like what Joe said. There was a lot of hopes in that commentary, and 
And we all know that hope is not an investment strategy. I think that we all would like the markets to go higher, but this is the year of the Fed. This is the year where, to Jim's point, the economy is actually really strong. And so that gives the Fed a tremendous amount of cover to raise rates and start quantitative tightening. Therefore, that's not good for the majority of equities. So I think we're going to be in more fits and starts this year. And if the, if the market could end the year at a zero return, I still think that would be a wonderful return with all that we've had to absorb. I also think on tech, you know, I've heard it every once in a while on the show where people will say, well, you know, big cap tech can be used as like a cash surrogate or like low risk. I've never even remotely understood that. It's like, you know, Microsoft is not a cheap stock. Apple's not a cheap stock. These stocks have done wonderfully for 10, 20, and 30 years. But listen, GE used to was a wonderful stock for 10, 20, and 30 years. So I think you need to look at earnings, understand what's going to happen. But I think that this market can, needs to continue. If you want to make money this year, you need to do cover calls, be defensive, be in certain commodities. But those commodities, you can't just buy them blindly because they've done so well, especially energy and some of the other you know, more resource intensive commodities. And so I just think this is going to be a very, very treacherous year and dicey year that you really got to pick your spots if you're going to try to make a positive return. I want to zero down um, on or zero in, excuse me, on something that you just said with Jim, right? This idea of the Fed's tightening. Your quote was that's not going to be good for the majority of equities. Sure, you can be selective, as you said, and maybe some commodities. That is your view. But Jim, how do you reconcile that? Right. With all that lies ahead from the Fed, Bryn says that's not going to be good for the majority of equities. How do you make a counter argument to that? What is it? Yeah, well, the, the, the simple one is look at where the 10 year is right now. Two point seven five percent on the march. I mean, the 10 year, the bond market. I'm sorry, what? It's on Scott? the march. It's 277, right? I mean, it's 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 moving higher. Yeah, it's seemingly yeah, it's every a, day. Yeah, that's my, but that that is my point. That is my point. OK, and we were at one. I mean, we were literally at half of that number four months ago. This is one heck of a rise. OK, mountain peaks like this usually peak and come down. But the bond market's doing the Fed's work for it. And, you know, we're really not talking about this at all. Uh, the yield curve has steepened. I mean, remember how much we were flopping and twitching two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, we had the yield curve inversion watch going on. I remember I was on the show with you that day. Um, the, so listen, the, the bond market's doing the work for the Fed. But also, let me point out something that Bryn said that was really quite smart, and it dovetails with what Joe was saying. If you're in a two steps forward, two steps back market, and maybe you are for a few more weeks, I don't think so, but if you are, you do need to be an active stock picker. You need to be in those cyclicals that Bryn and I like, that have yields to them, that are tied to commodities, or like the financials are gonna benefit from this steepening yield curve. You can't just blindly go into tech and say it's all tech all the time. That's not in the playbook this year. Okay, well we're gonna, coming up in a little bit, Leslie Picker is gonna tell you Maybe you need to be looking out for something under the surface in the banks as to why. Are you laughing? Why are you laughing at that? Because it feels like everything I say, there's a segment coming up that there will be a note dropped that uh, disagrees with it. That's OK. Um, I find it amusing. I've I've read through the entire format <laughs> of the show today, uh, as I do every day, obviously. And um, I know what's coming up. And there are some good counter arguments to your bullishness. I mean, you, you remain okay. remarkably bullish when Jonathan Krinsky, another person we closely follow, Steve Weiss, says defensive momentum continues to the point that we were 
making that Jim is is rejecting, if not just straight up, you know, he's refuting it, if not straight up rejecting it. Industrials look vulnerable, he says, Krinsky, not Jim, and are breaking to seven-year relative lows versus materials. We would avoid the former, industrials, and favor the latter, materials. What do you think? Look, I, I, I think materials have had a great run, and I'm not one to buy at the top. I've been involved. I got out of Cleveland Cliffs too early. It was a great call by Jim. Um, you know, but, but you know, look, it, it's, to me, it's an emotional spike. To me, everybody is looking at the technicals or materials, every strategy is saying, staying commodities. Uh, as I said, I missed it. I'm just not getting in at this level because I think they'll be the next, next ones to fall. And industrials have been underperforming. Look at Honeywell. Everybody's favorite stock. It's done nothing for two years. As a matter of fact, it's gone down. Don't rub and it into Joe. I think we'll Joe. just start seeing that with commodities at some point. Don't rub it into Joe. I don't know if he's still in Honeywell, I, I but he has know. been within the last two years. Right, Joseph? I certainly have, Your Honor. Can I make a point here about this, this entire conversation? And speaking about the Federal Reserve, and I, I heard Josh last week I used the word adversarial with you on overtime. Then I heard Josh say, no, the Fed is your friend. I, I agree with Josh that the Fed is your friend in terms of tempering this excessive speculation that's unfolding. But without question, you cannot dismiss that there is a correlation, a very strong correlation between the amount of liquidity that the Federal Reserve is injecting into markets or removing end risk assets where they're ultimately going to be pricing. And I see 2022, right. all of it, about just normalizing the world. So, Scott, shouldn't we be normalizing earnings and earnings expectations? Well, because you know what? Over the last two years, earnings exploded alongside the liquidity. And now that we're removing liquidity, yeah. let's normalize some of those earnings expectations. It's not a bad I thing. said it last week. Don't fight the Fed. Works both ways. And on that note, we're going to take a break. The world's biggest ETF conference is underway right now in Miami. We're going to go there live next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani, coming to you from the Exchange ETF Conference here in glorious Miami Beach, Florida. 2,000 investment professionals gathered to hash out the latest investment trends. Let's talk to one of the organizers, Tom Leiden from ETF Trends, along with Michael Sonnenschein. He's the CEO of Grayscale Investments. First time you have said it's good times and it's tough times for the ETF industry. Money continues to flow in. But the advisors, you're telling me very worried, particularly about bond funds. What are they worried about, Tom? Well, that's it. It's all about in inflation, rising interest rates, Bob. They're not concerned about stocks and volatility as much. They're concerned about the fixed income portion. Many are moving from 60-40 to 70-30 or even 80-20. There's a huge decline in the fixed income area, and it's not slowing down. That's what we're talking about at this conference. That's one of the key important discussions. And we're going to be talking about what kind of solutions there are out there. But the other hot topic here is crypto. The big Bitcoin conference ended here on Sunday, and some people attending that have stuck around for the ETF conference. Now, Michael Sonnenschein runs Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. This is the first publicly quoted security solely invested in the price of Bitcoin. Michael, you've got an application in front of the SEC to convert this Grayscale Bitcoin Trust of yours to an ETF, a pure play ETF. The SEC has until early July to respond to your application. They've denied everything. All previous pure play Bitcoin ETFs, you said you might want to sue if they don't approve your application. Why and on what legal grounds would you have to sue them? Well, listen, the Grayscale team has never wavered in its commitment to converting GBTC to an ETF. Eight years ago, that's directly the way that we structured this product. And if we zoom back out over time, regulators and the SEC in particular has really evolved their thinking around the asset class and how to give investors access to it. We had the first futures ETFs approved last year, a huge milestone for the industry. And then as recently as last week, the approval of the first Bitcoin futures ETF registered under the 33 Act. And so as we approach this July deadline, we're working proactively with the SEC and regulators more broadly. There are over 800,000 accounts in the U.S., all 50 states represented that own GBTC. They've been very patient. And so for Grayscale, all options are on the but table. But very quickly, you, the, the argument seems to be, well, they approve the Bitcoin futures, therefore they have to approve a pure play. Well, what's the linkage necessarily there? Is that the basis of your argument? Well, certainly when a regulator is looking at two like issues, so a Bitcoin futures ETF and a Bitcoin spot ETF, and they have concerns over that underlying market, it's important that they look at those two issues through the same lens. Okay, much more now coming up with Tom and Michael up on ETF Edge. That's 1 p.m. Eastern time, including what the speakers at the conference are telling Tom and the advisors to do with the bond funds. That's the critical story. And joining Michael, Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer of Bitwise Asset Management on where crypto ETF investing is heading in 2022. Plus, Brendan Ahern, CIO, Crane Shares on China in 2022. Is it really an uninvestable, uninvestable product at this point? ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime back right after this. This is your CNBC News Update at this hour. I'm Christina Partsnevelis. As Russia prepares for an expected offensive in eastern Ukraine, residents are leaving. While many are still boarding trains heading west, Friday's attack on a train station has made many others afraid to travel by rail, thinning the crowds at this station. U.S. officials say Russia is reinforcing and resupplying its troops in the Donbass region, but it doesn't think a new offensive has started yet. 
At the Security Council today, a United Nations official said she's hearing more allegations of rape and sexual violence by Russian troops that need to be independently investigated. And the U.S. ambassador said what's happening to women and children in attacks on civilians is, in her own words, horrific beyond comprehension. When men like President Putin start wars, women and children get displaced. Women and children get hurt. Women and children get raped and abused, and women and children die. In a photo session ahead of a virtual meeting with President Biden, India's prime minister said reports of civilian deaths in Bukha are particularly worrying. Narendra Modi told Biden he has talked with both sides, suggesting that Putin and Zelensky hold direct talks. After the cameras left, Biden was expected to push Modi to move away from India's neutral stance on the war. Scott? All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Parts and All right, the investment committee is making some moves that we need to talk about. Mostly Bryn Talkington is the talker today. Abvi, so you had it as your final trade about a week or so ago. You actually bought it. And then the junior miners, the GDXJ. Can you tell me about both, please, why you decided to buy? Yeah, so I think the conversation we had earlier looking at defensive areas that I think will continue to have tailwinds. You know, Avi's really interesting. It trades at about an 11.6 time multiple. It's got about a 3.5% dividend yield. And it's done well this year, but I think that in that defensive play, healthcare, and especially in this pharma space, you have with Abby, Abby, you know, high single digit top line growth with a low PE and a good dividend. So I added that to the portfolio. The miners, the junior miners, is really like a relative trade. You know, gold really hasn't done this well, but GDX, which is the gold miners, is up about 25% versus the juniors is only up about 15. And I think that the gold miners are actually on, on the precipice of a breakout um, from really 2020 highs. And so I think that the juniors are going to be a catch-up trade. So, so it is a trade, and I think that there's about a 15 to 20% upside potentially to happen for the rest of the year. Okay. Let's take a look at shares of Disney. Because Bank of America, in our call of the day, they reiterate Disney as a buy. They upgrade their EPS estimates. That's the real news because the price target stays the same. And that is $191, Jim Labenthal, the farmer Jim. Uh, that's 44% upside from here. You, you buy that. You own it. Um, I do. I do. I'm positive on Disney. I have to point out that the stock really fell out of bed in November when that third quarter earnings report came out that Bob Chapek telegraphed w would be terrible. And the, the problem is, is when a company is on a tear and then has a bad quarter, it usually takes a couple of quarters to get back on track. You had a very good fourth quarter report. I'm talking calendar fourth quarter. If you get another good first quarter report here, I think it's off to the races. And I think you will have that because we know the theme parks were doing really well. Listen, if you want to see a beneficiary of inflation, go to a, a Walt Disney theme park. You'll see it writ large there. And the streaming business, you know, nobody's really talking about it, but it's just chugging along. So I do think you'll get a good first quarter report here, and that will take it out of the penalty box. Well, I mean, everybody's been talking about the streaming business. Isn't it like concerns about the growth of the streaming business from here? Is the whole reason why the stock hasn't done anything of late. What do you mean no one's talking about it? Had a, you know, the last earnings report, which is all we've got to go on right now, it blew the numbers out of the water on the streaming business. I mean, you know, I feel like people want to be negative and then they craft the story around it. I'm just reporting the results. The last quarter they reported, they blew the numbers out in terms of the streaming subscribers. Right. But I think the issue has been how much more money is Disney going to have to spend 
to continue to have that subscriber growth. And that's on content and other major ex- things on the expense line. I mean, those are the issues. Yep. Yeah, we've been talking about that, though, since December of 2020, when they did their analyst four-hour report on what Disney streaming was going to be. Uh, that's not new news, spending. Joe, he, Joe, he doesn't want to hear any of it. No, no well, listen, when, when you're talking about streaming, you, you have to be somewhat puzzled why Disney went to the model where they've got a lower subscription that now has advertising on it. It's something that Disney really didn't want to do. Um, and it, it just kind of makes me think when I'm looking at streaming, I'd rather go with Netflix, which is actually cheaper on a valuation basis right now relative to Disney and has not given up that prime position in their offering uh, with no ads. Yeah. Jim's not going to be knocked off his tractor today. I mean, he's made that point pretty clear no matter what you throw, <laughs> no matter what you throw at him. He, uh, he just refuses. He just refuses. We will take a quick break. Up next, what you need to watch ahead of big bank earnings. I mentioned that earlier and how the committee is playing that group. Plus, all of April, CNBC is celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here is contributor Josh Brown. Financial literacy to me means freedom. The freedom to choose how we want to live our lives, what we want to spend our money on, how we want to prioritize enjoying today versus being prepared for tomorrow. The more you understand about how banks work, how credit works, how long-term investing works, the difference between trading and investing, money in general, the more freedom you'll end up with. That's why it's so important that people take this seriously. Did you know the big banks kick off earnings season this week? Our Leslie Picker is following the money there and a particular part of the business that may not be so fabulous, Leslie. Yeah, it's declining. That's one business within the sector getting a lot of attention in the lead up to earnings is investment banking. Uh, The lack of deal making is expected to be a drag on Q1 numbers for the universal banks thanks to market volatility and and a macro backdrop that caused a slump in M&A and IPOs during the first three months of the year. Most analysts are expecting investment banking revenue to decline at least 30% year over year led by an 80% slump in equity capital markets. That's the group where IPOs and stock issuance is handled. However, they're benchmarked against some pretty tough comparables from last year, which was so strong for deal-making. So as a result, Piper Sandler last week downgraded EPS estimates for those banks with the largest relative capital markets exposure. Goldman Sachs received the biggest cut by 28% due to its investment banking exposure. Morgan Stanley followed with an 11% reduction there. All the large U.S. universal banks lagging the S&P this year, with the exception of Wells Fargo, which is much less exposed to the capital markets. City upgrading Wells Fargo today on, quote, capital flexibility and asset sensitivity. But the past is the past, and what investors will really be focused on is the commentary from executives about the pipeline, whether the market backdrop will be much more accommodating to more deals in the back half of the year, potentially those that have been kind of put on the back burner to see if things improve. Will they actually come to fruition in 2022? Scott? It's going to depend on the market. I mean, they can say what they want, <laughs> right? The market conditions, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, Leslie, are, are going to dictate everything and how volatile things um, may be. That's Leslie Picker. Thank you. Um, all right. So I think of investment banking. Leslie laid it out perfectly because I think of Goldman. I think of Morgan Stanley, top of the top of the list as, as she had. Bryn, you own Goldman. Weiss, you own Goldman. Joe, you own Morgan Stanley. Bryn, you go first. 
Yeah, I mean, I think everything Leslie laid out was, was spot on. I mean, Goldman's off 25% from its highs. I like the company. I'm not going to sell it. But I do think we're in this weird conundrum right here that, you know, you have global GDP will be slowing. That's going to happen. If we have investment banks slowing, but yet then you get a, a yield curve steepening. So that's why banks are up today. So I think we have like an, a confluence of of pluses and minuses. I'm going to hold it, but I'm, I'm not loving the position. And I don't have a high conviction that it's going to all of a sudden turn around this year and just have a spectacular return. You know, it's funny, Weiss, and I know you own, you own Goldman. I don't think you're doing anything with it. You correct me um, if, if I'm wrong on that. But that reminds me of the comments that you made about Bank of America, speaking about the space more broadly. It's like, well, I'm not selling it, but nah, I'm kind of looking at it. I don't love, you know, what it's been doing. Um, put that into context for me. How how firm of a holder are you sure. of a name that you've liked for a long time with a CEO that you uh, have praised meaningfully on this show? Yeah. So, look, I, I actually expect both Goldman and B of A or I'd be surprised if they didn't decline on the earnings report. And I don't expect optimism about the near term pipeline banking. There's another negative also which is that if you talk to any senior wealth manager that's got a big book at the big banks, they'll tell you they've driven a lot of their revenues through lending. So you have great balance sheets. You have eight credits at these banks. They're able to lend people like, you know, the billionaires who do borrow a lot of money for them at such low prices, at such low rates. As those rates go up, that business is going to decline somewhat. Right. So why do I like it? I like it because I think that the yield curve is going to steepen again and they'll make money on the spread. OK. And I also believe that a lot of the third party lenders that have come out there that have been lending at usury rates, that the credit profile of their business is going to decline meaningfully. Okay. So, so that's I, why I like it. I think right. they'll pick up share. Forgive me to cut you off. I need to hear from Joe and Morgan Stanley and, and be brief no. if you could, Joe. Morgan Stanley staying with it like the wealth management business. I was in Goldman Sachs. I'm not in Goldman Sachs anymore. And in terms of financials, look at reserve releases from one year ago. You're not going to have that benefit anymore. EPS growth is going to be down 24%. A lot of negativity, but that's what you want. Throw the kitchen sink at it. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about a new note that I'm looking at right now from one firm about U.S. equities. Back in two minutes. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the Investment Committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, so I told you I was looking at this new note. Um, Carl Quintanilla has, has tweeted something from Truist, which I thought was interesting and you should know about. Downgrading equities from attractive to neutral as the equity risk premium has dwindled to the lowest level since 2010. That's what they say. There's an increased risk that the Federal Reserve will be unable to tame inflation without unduly slowing the economy. Farmer Jim, that is the conversation from beginning to middle to end. Your entire thesis does it matters like, about that. Does it feel like you've does it feel like you've heard that exact statement before, like maybe 500 times in the last month? I know, but maybe Is there they anything have to, actually new in that? Maybe you have to repeat that over and over to convince people like you who are advising people to be all fully invested, all in, that uh, listen, that's not a smart listen, move. I think, I think my advice... I think my advice is absolutely the right advice if you're able to look past your own feet. I mean, I, 
I would use the analogy of going for a run. And you know when you're winded and you look down at your feet. If you're looking down at your feet right now, you're worried about 2.75% on the 10-year and you're worried about the Fed. If you're fully winded and feeling strong and looking out to the horizon, you're seeing corporate capex and infrastructure and strong labor markets. You're seeing a very healthy economy with growing profits. Yeah, the danger is, though, Joe, is running off a cliff because you refuse to see what's in front of you. Well, I think I think risk management is is always one number one priority. So you're trying to put yourself in a position and you've had a lot of time in 2022 where you're not allocating aggressively towards the high P.E. stocks or the high beta stocks. That's the wrong place to be. And a lot of the defensive tone that the market capture captures recently, that's fully warranted. So if you have not been going into places like healthcare, you might want to give consideration to that. And I go back to where I began the show and what I've said for the entire year. We're normalizing everything. Let's normalize expectations. V recoveries are not normal. That's not the case in 2022. We're marking time. That's what we're doing. Stop being so impatient. So, Bryn, to Joe's point, how can you normalize everything and not have the negative impacts of normalizing if you want to put it that way the the reason or at least a principal reason why stocks got here in the first place you need earnings to hold up if everything ran up because of what the fed was doing on the upside how can things not revert back to the mean on the downside or at least somewhere close to it when that policy is pulled yeah, I mean, stocks don't go up every year. They just don't. And we've had wonderful 10 years with 2018 really being the only negative year. And so it's like investors have to be prepared as long-term investors that we could just have a bad year. I just think the Fed and the, the Fed tightening is just is so much for the market to have to deal with on top of a multitude of different things. So, Steve, how do you assess this thing from, from Truist? Sure, they're not the first to suggest that, you know, it's going to be a tough road ahead. Their suggestion is that if you're counting on the Fed to have a soft or safe, as Harker suggested, landing, um, you may be disappointed in the end. They may not be able to pull it off because of where inflation is and how strong they have to deal with it, regardless of whether you think it's peaking or has peaked in certain places or not. Look, I, I think their position's realistic. You have a Fed that was in emergency funding for the economy for a long time yeah. since 08 effectively and now it's going the other way so i was thinking and i am concerned the fed won't be able to land this softly okay that it will be a hard landing and we won't know all right we'll do final trades next i hope you will join me at four o'clock eastern in overtime because if you really want to know what elon musk might be thinking about twitter who better to ask than that man right there walter isaacson he's literally writing a book on Musk, a biography as we speak. Been spending time with him. Get some insights from Walter Isaacson. I cannot wait to talk to him later on. All right, final trades. Bryn, first. Stay defensive. Um, my final trade is Jeppy. Take advantage of covered calls, higher okay. income. Pharma Jim, quick. Raytheon Technologies. Okay, Joe. CNX Resources. Steve Weiss. Staying in cash, no right. new money in the market. All right. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Picture this. 
It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.